Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. And we are ready to talk. First weekend of actual baseball play as uh, Major League Baseball season is underway. Uh, I have already told my wife that she is uh, now back to being a baseball widow. Uh, and uh, that TV has been on nonstop baseball all weekend long. We'll see how long I can keep that going and still not have the locks changed on me. How's it going, Corey? I'm doing well. Stayed cool, avoided the massive storm, and watched way too much baseball since Thursday night. It started, watched what turned out to be a game and a half on Thursday night because it didn't go full, but watched both of them and then a lot on Friday, some of them here, and whenever I had a chance, I was in the popcorn wagon. I watched as many as I could yesterday and today, so that's been great. I definitely did opening day uh, right. Yes, you uh, did. Thank you for dinner. Steaks on the grill. You're, you betcha. Uh, steaks on the grill. Old fashions in hand. Baseball on the TV. Uh, even if the uh, even if the results don't turn out the way you want, that's still a win in my book. So <laughs> that's right. As always, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. Uh, as Corey was referencing, a lot of people are out getting their snack of choice, and we've learned, and we are taking credit cards now. So I have moved into the 21st century over there. I've figured out square and you just got to give me, be patient if you come. So I'm still figuring out, but I took two today and uh, felt pretty good about that. <laughs> it's uh, uh, battling with uh, rain, battling with uh, heat and humidity. It was and we stick it out a sticky one. Uh, and uh, uh, even with uh, shortened hours due to some of those, uh, uh, high temperature circumstances, you guys were packing it in pretty well there. Yeah, still a pretty busy day around there, so no complaints here. Well, again, the River Creek popcorn, come hungry, leave happy. As we look at uh, baseball, there's a few things that happened even just like right under the gun uh, leading up to uh, an opening day. Uh, and the first one was the massive contract extension that was signed. Uh, we referenced you, it. You called uh, it. It's about the only thing I called right <laughs> in that podcast, by the way. In the first three games, it's about the only thing that has gone uh, the way I thought according to plan. And uh, Mookie Betts will be a Dodger for a long time. A total of 12 years when you count his current... Uh, current two years, or one year. Current one year he's got there, right? And so it's a total of 12 years, $365 million, And that's a long time to plug you right into the middle of that lineup. But it, we said it, it makes sense. The Dodgers are... a contending team and they're going to continue to be a contending team. They just keep rebuilding. And when he watched Dustin may pitch that night, he had to think, man, I can watch this for a few years. Cause whew, can that boy throw a little bit of, can that boy throw a tailing fastball? It, it can really move. So when well, he's in the prime of his career, right in the middle of their uh, peak contending time, this is all the uh, world series time that they're going for right now. And he fits perfectly into that lineup. Uh, adds that much more length and depth uh, to it. And now, again, we talked about with the DH. Now, this is a nine-strong lineup, and uh, he definitely fits well at the top of that order. And uh, I don't think he minds the uh, the contract too much for that type of financial security. Only Patrick Mahomes can say, uh, I think I got you a little little beat there. I feel like... I feel like he's going to be set. You can can live on $365 I feel like. Just a million a day. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's pretty much where he is. Well, congrats to him for a, a massive contract and new and the home. Dodgers. Congrats to the Dodgers. They, you know, obviously people say that they buy pennants or whatever. They even though they haven't won one recently, but uh, they're they're willing to spend that money. They have it available to them. They made the move to get him, and they locked him up. At the end of the day, anyone that complains about payroll, uh, it's just envy. Uh, coming from a small market fan mm-hmm. uh, right here, uh, if you have the resources to get players like that in their prime, in addition to having an excellent uh, farm system and player development, they have an amazingly good farm system. That's what that's what gets forgotten with them is it just keeps going. It's it's Corey Seager, it's Corey Cody Bellinger, it's Dustin May, it's Walker Bueller, and then they when they need to make a move for a big player, they're willing to trade Alex Verdugo. It's it's a it's a system out there, and it's working well for them. That's what happens when you sign a GM like Andrew Friedman uh, with that player development prowess on top of the uh, uh, Brinks trucks of cash that they can back up to any free agent they want. Uh, that's a dangerous combo. When the Yankees were at their best, they were able to do both. Uh, and uh, right now they're trying to get back to that. We'll see what happens as the year gets going. But uh, one thing's for sure, uh, playoffs have also expanded. Our predictions uh, not just, were wrong. Uh, they uh, they <laughs> got it in under the wire. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll see what uh, what that holds. But, Corey, why don't you break down what we mean when we say expanded playoffs. They got it in before the, the opening day, which was the deadline if they were going to have any shot at this. And as much of a challenge as it was to get – the players union and owners to agree on anything this came together rather fast the player the you the owners had always said they wanted expanded playoffs because more money for more games and that's basically what the players wanted too was more money so this is a way to get to there is to say let's expand our playoffs so usually it was five teams now it is eight or five teams from each division for a total of 10 now it is eight teams from each division for a total of 16 so when we went through our divisions, the AL East preview, for example, we said that the Yankees would probably be the winners and the Rays might be the wild card or we might have flipped it. But now it doesn't matter because each division is going to get the top two teams with the remaining two best teams as the wild card. So two teams from the AL East, two teams from the AL Central, two teams from the AL West, and your best remaining two records. And this is also a change from the wild card uh, do or die game. This is now a best-of-three series uh, to begin with, so that also means it isn't just down to uh, a winner-take-all one game, but you have a a shot to get something going here. So we're talking about how good a team like the Dodgers is. Now, a three-game series can be a lot of luck. Uh, Now, a one-game wild card has always been a lot of luck, but it's always been the wild card. You always had the advantage of being the division winner. Uh, you tell me the Dodgers actually, let's say the Dodgers go out and win the most games. They will get to choose who they play in the first round. That is the way that I understand it is the top teams get to make the choice of who they play in the divisional round for that three game series. But like I said, let's say the Dodgers pick to play the St. Louis Cardinals over three games. Anything can happen. You only need to lose two. And uh, it's it's going to make for some really interesting playoff times, especially if Adam Wainwright keeps pitching like it was 10 years ago. Right. They find something there. I don't know. It's amazing what St. Louis does. <laughs> but the, the difference before was if you were a division winner, you didn't have to worry about the luck scenario of the of the do or die with the wild card. You had a bye. You made it to the, the at least a best of five mm-hmm. and then to best of seven. Uh, so you didn't have to deal with the, uh, uh, with the, with the flukiness. Yep. Thank you. 
uh, but now you do. Everyone's in the, in the same boat, which here's a question for you then. Uh, expanded playoffs, good for pandemic or here to stay? I hope this is a one-year thing. I don't want it to turn into hockey or basketball where half the teams essentially make the playoffs. I don't want that out of baseball. I want the games. I want to know that I'm getting the best teams into the playoffs. And I just, when you have that many teams making the playoffs, flukiness, like it, it occurs. It's We've seen it in other sports and I don't want that in baseball over 162 games. I would agree. It devalues winning the division uh, because there's no extra incentive. You get home field advantage uh, for the first round at, that, you know, because not only home field advantage, all games are played there. Mm-hmm. That's still not that much of a, especially when there's no fans, no fans uh, this year. Right? It doesn't mean much this year. But if it, moving forward, still not the uh, not the same. Again, the, the difference of baseball to the other sports is it's a 162-game marathon. And whoever can outlast all of the challenges that comes from that many games and come out on top, there's a good amount of... Uh, uh, reward that is given to that and to change this format to be similar to the NBA or NHL it it, it just doesn't work I think like you said it in this shortened season I realize they want to make more money I'm fine with it let's do something different to try to help both the owners and the players but I hope that this is a one I think that the DH rule is here to stay for example uh, I do not think this rule is going to stay and, and you're talking about uh, 60 games is already a fluke, so it, it fits everything. for to do, to do the expanded playoffs and make it through this unique year, that works, but not one that you want to see stay. Yeah, I agree with you that I don't think the DH leaves the NL now. I think there's going to be, of all the things that Manfred has tried to do to manufacture more offense in the game, this is the easiest solution to do that, in my opinion. And we'll see uh, what happens as the as the year goes on. Uh, but let's now talk about the exciting Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Buffalo Blue Jays, uh, and that whole scenario. As Toronto decided, no, we don't want other teams uh, in a non-bubble situation coming up here. Uh, so you can't play in Toronto this year, which left the Blue Jays looking for uh, a new home. Can you walk us through that uh, interesting uh, scenario that has unfolded in the past week? So when we talked. Last week, it was going to be in Buffalo, and we talked about minor league stadiums, and suddenly it was, nope, we don't want to play in a minor league stadium, and, and that's an, a major league player. I've, I've never done that. Obviously, I'm not a major league baseball player, but I can understand where you feel like you've earned the right to play in a major league stadium. So they wanted to play in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh was, they looked through the schedule, Pittsburgh was welcoming to them, but the Department of Health in Ohio, which is where Pittsburgh is located, said, nope, not coming in. So that was out. Uh, then it was, let's look at Baltimore. And then we heard about Baltimore for up through the day before the season started, up through last Wednesday, it was, where are they going to play? And no one knew. We're talking, now they're lucked out. They were starting on the road. But uh, it was that nobody knew. And now, right as the season started, it became, Baltimore's not going to work. We're back to Buffalo, where we should have been all along. It made the most sense. It was open in to them. They already had that option. Yes, it's a minor league stadium without the major amenities, but it's a stop, It's a spot to play. So that's where Toronto is going to play their home games. I believe their first home series is until the end of this week, though, I think. 
that's the only way that this this worked, which was pretty wild. That uh, we were within hours of the regular season starting, and, and they didn't even know where their home games were going to be played. It's just a crazy scenario that unfolded. Uh, and and I get the players treating Buffalo as the uh, the backup option. They wanted to see if something else was out there. Uh, and in COVID times, uh, you're just not finding. Uh, we're just lucky there's baseball at all. Uh, and so it went back to Buffalo, and so we're at Buffalo Blue Jays for this 60-game uh, uh, stretch, and uh, hopefully it'll feel like home for them. You're, you feel for them in such a unusual circumstance. Hopefully it can be at least what it needs to be for the time being. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, it's going to still be – it'll be new for everyone. So you'd like to think that Buffalo – or both Toronto's players will get used to the Buffalo ballpark a little earlier than some of these – players that are coming to visit so they have some type of an advantage but at least initially it's going to be brand new for everybody there because other than minor league games played there no one's played in buffalo and with no off days uh uh, coming up uh, with no uh uh, spring training or summer camp or anything there they'll be going to that park at the same time everyone else is which is kind of strange uh strange too I saw some projections on park factors which which is a projection of whether or not it's a hitter's park or a hitter's pitcher's park that it, it thought it was going to play up as a maze massive hitter's park just because of the dimensions I think it was like third or fourth behind only Baltimore and Colorado or something like that which are big time hitters parks so could really boost the offense there not necessarily help the pitchers like young Nate Pearson but we'll see well, as we look at this uh, this weekend again, we're three games or three days in for pretty much everyone as we're recording this on uh, Sunday evening. There's still a couple of games to uh, to go yet here, but uh, ultimately we're a weekend in. And, uh, of course, that means it's a great time to assess everything because we have so much information. So what better way to do this than for some hot takes? So why don't we take a look at that uh, across the board? What's one of your first hot takes, Corey? Oh, let's take, let's just talk about the Padres right away. They've been my team for a long time. I see that they're now getting beat in the ninth inning, but they were 2-0. and They took on the Diamondbacks, and it's the pitching. It's Chris Paddock. It's Denelson Lamette. We haven't seen Mackenzie Gore. They've. It's been the pitching. It's been timely hitting from players that you'd expect it. I've been talking about, I think Will Myers is the perfect DH fit and he hit a home run yesterday and Manny Machado, who they have that huge contract hit a home run and Fernando Tatis has been all over the field. So, so far I'm really liking what I'm seeing from San Diego. They were the only team uh, coming into or the end of the end of the evening here, end of the weekend uh, that had any shot of a three and record uh, with it. So this has been very much a, uh, a parody filled weekend as as teams try to get their uh, feet underneath them, I definitely have seen uh, bats behind uh, pitching overall at, at large here. Uh, but, yeah, the Padres, uh, uh, I had myself jotted down a note of San Diego Padres playoff bound. Uh, I did not pick them uh, in my predictions, uh, but after seeing just the initial, uh, the young pitching is there, and more than just the big names. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at uh, uh, Lamette. Uh, his wonderful start yesterday. Here's someone who uh, started uh, rookie season in, t- in 2017, uh, end up with uh, Tommy John surgery needed, made 11 starts last year, and now he's fully healthy coming into this year. Uh, in 77 innings, I think that's what it was last year, he had over 100 and uh, uh, over 100 plus strikeouts uh, last year. So the stuff is there. He hasn't lost anything. 
Uh, and I just an impressive debut to begin this year and makes you think there's a lot more that's there. Uh, and uh, you mentioned some of the other names uh, uh, that are part of that uh, rotation and the high-end prospects uh, that are now going to be major league ready. And I think uh, they have the best, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. I oh, think they yeah. have the best National League bullpen. I really do think they truly have the best bullpen in the National League. Kirby Yates is an excellent closer. They have Matt Strom, Craig Stamen, Drew Pomeranz. They put a lot of money and effort into that bullpen. They traded for Emilio Pagan, and they can shorten games. And they have the offense to be competitive with with their rotation in that shortened game, and I, I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. Pagan and Yates uh, did not do them favors today, uh, but overall for the season, you feel very confident in those guys. Yates was the best reliever in baseball last year, uh, and there's no no reason to doubt him at this point either. So there's a lot of good things there. There's uh, a different player I'll mention later on, but my... Uh, I didn't want to steal him from you. I, I, I didn't mention him for a reason, so... <laughs> we'll, we'll come to him later on. Uh, but... Uh, Knee-jerk reaction, hot take, uh, Texas Stadium. Uh, not the offensive ballpark that the ballpark in Arlington was. We talked about it, right? Arlington was outdoors. It was extremely hot uh, to the point where it was probably unhealthy to be there at certain points for players. And the ball carried because of that. We've seen some incredible offensive numbers put in down there. This is a stadium. It's It's a closed dome. I'm sure it's being well air conditioned to keep these guys cool and give them a chance. But in doing so, it's probably going to make a, a lot of it comes down to how much moisture is within the baseball. And I'm sure that the baseball is getting more moisture in it and it's not flying as well. And that's you, you've been talking about the tex, Texas rotation, so it should help them. So maybe it'll help their team as a whole. Yeah, just going to be a different dynamic. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that that goes on. But that's definitely the. Uh, Initial hot take that a lot of uh, analysts and experts are making that uh, this ballpark might be more pitcher-friendly than it than the hitter-friendly it used to be. Oh, let's do... I guess let's talk about Kyle Hendricks because I've seen the hot takes for Cy Young already. Kyle Hendricks is one of the most unique pitchers in baseball, and we talked about the Cubs a lot, and Kyle Hendricks is probably... I believe he has the lowest average fastball velocity of any starter pitcher in Major League Baseball. And yet I watched him go out on opening night and hold the Brewers to three singles from their number nine hitter and not walk a batter. He has impeccable control and he can locate all of his pitches across the across both sides of the plate and both up and down. And when you can do that, if you get good starts, you can do exactly what he did, which is a complete game where he struck out, I believe, nine Brewers. Now, we everyone thought that there was going to be very few complete games all year. And that Kyle Hendricks goes out and does something I believe only three people had ever done through a complete game shutout with less than no, or with no walks and less than five hits. And right away he looked great. Now I don't think he's going to maintain that all year. If he did, obviously it would be a no brainer. He would be the Cy Young, but I think he can be extremely good. I think that he's probably not gotten the credit he deserves for just how good he has been because of the fact that he doesn't throw hard. Now, I like watching Kyle Hendricks pitch because it's interesting, but it's not the same as watching, you know, I said Dustin May was out there pumping 99-mile-an-hour heat on the corners. Kyle Hendricks is more of a Greg Maddox artist out there than a Noah Syndergaard flamethrower. Kyle Hendricks got to be mentioned in the same breath as Bob Gibson, and whenever you're in the same breath as Bob Gibson, you're doing something right. Uh, So it was nine-plus strikeouts and no walk, shutouts on opening day. That's only happened three times since 1901. Bob Gibson in 1967, 
Chris Short in 1968. So back-to-back years, kind of interesting. That's interesting. And then Kyle Hendricks uh, in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, when we're already in the era of the almost the full erasing of complete games, uh, especially coming out, there was talk that most pitchers weren't even going to make the five-inning minimum uh, to be uh, qualified for a win mm-hmm. uh, with it. And he goes out and does... Uh, the nine. So it's interesting we talked, to see that. That was a game we watched together, and we talked about it. David Ross came out with eight and two-thirds innings because Arcia had gotten his third hit of the night, I believe, and and we didn't know much. Right, David Ross is making his debut managing, and he let him out there, and we think that it probably was did unamounts of good morale to the Cubs. I think that's that shows you that your manager really wants to listen. That's my hot take from this. Thank you for that memory. I almost forgot uh, that David Ross earned a massive amount of credibility and respect in that locker room. Uh, they respect him as a former player who was not long uh, removed from the game, uh, so he understands what it takes to, to do the day-in, day-out grind, which already gets you a lot of respect in a clubhouse, but you're still new. They still don't know how you're going to respond to in-game situations, and nothing could rally your players around you more then as a player, you want that shot. Uh, you want to have a chance to finish it out. Uh, and in today's game, normally you're, you're pulled. No one cares anymore if it's an eight and two-thirds or uh, even sometimes working on a no-hitter in like the seventh. Guys get pulled. You don't get the Pitch long counts. leash. Pitch count dominates the game. So for David Ross to actually go out there and just say, All right, you want it? Go get it. And uh, that's just huge, and uh, I think that will pay long-term dividends for the rookie manager. Let's talk about one of your favorite guys who was uh, in a not-so-good situation in the uh, organization of dysfunction uh, who finds himself resurfacing with the uh, Los Angeles Angels, Dylan Bundy, uh, who looked night and day different from where we have seen him in the past. What are your thoughts on his opening day, strong debut with the uh, the Angels? So I talked about Dylan Bundy. I He was miscast in Baltimore. It is a rough place to par- pitch. We talked about it. It's a, among the best hitting parks in baseball. You play the Yankees many times. You play the Red Sox many times. You play the Rays many times. Those are some of the best pitcher, best teams over the last decade or so in baseball. And it's been a struggle for him there. I'm not going to lie. But he was consistently always considered one of the best pitching prospects in the game. He, I believe, was among the – I believe he won the college Cy Young Award over Garrett Cole. So this is a guy who's had a disappointing career so far. But he's still young, and he came out the other night for the Angels and was on point. Uh, I don't exactly – got to pull up the stats in front of me here. But he was out there. I watched part of that game. He went six and two-third, only you. gave up three hits and just one run. Yeah. And who was that against? Uh, against Oakland. That's what I thought. It so was a You're talking offense. to a strong team. He's out there. He probably – when he's on, he can throw 97-plus, and he can drop a ridiculous slider on you. So I it's it's so late when you have to watch those guys that I, I fell asleep. But uh, what I saw is Dylan Bundy – I've always said, Jake Arrieta struggled big time with Baltimore. They got him out of Baltimore. He went to Chicago. He got a Cy Young. Dylan Bundy reminds me so much of Jake Arrieta and that he can get out of Baltimore, get restarted. Joe Madden, we've talked about Joe Madden. His philosophy works for a while. He would seem to be the perfect guy to get what's best out of Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy is only 27 years old. 
Uh, it seems like he's been in baseball a long time. Uh, and again, when you're playing for a, an organization that doesn't win much, they bring up the uh, the young arms just to give something to look forward to. And his development was probably rushed for coming up before he was ready. Was a definitely a, a big time prospect coming out. Uh, was the you know the, in the same breath as Garrett Cole was picked fourth overall uh, in that first round uh, in in 2011. And so you have someone who just needs a fresh start, and you're really hoping that uh, things go well for the Angels. They definitely need pitching help, uh, so he would be a big boost to their playoff hopes, to say the least. Here's what I like to see out of Dylan Bundy is he didn't walk a single batter. That has always been his problem. He's he consistently walked close to three guys per nine innings. He didn't walk a single batter their night. If he gets that control under under control, if he gets that under control, he's going to be very good for the Angels. And they've been a team that another team that I've talked up a lot of this podcast. And uh, I hope you so because some of the other guys that I've talked up on the Angels have not been very good these first few days. So I need Dylan Bundy to be good for them. Uh, let's talk about uh, uh, the hot take from Jeff Passan, who is calling uh, G-Man Choi the most interesting man in baseball, the newfound switch-hitting slugger for the Tampa Bay Rays. So this is your team, so I'll, I'll take it here quick for you before you get to espouse wonders over there. Uh, G-Man Choi has, as far as we've known, always batted the same direction until today. Or, you know, maybe he fooled around a little bit, we thought, in spring training or summer camp. But none of us knew that G-Man Choi was, first off, none of us thought that he was ever going to bat leadoff as far as I'm concerned. I never thought G-Man Choi was a leadoff batter, but the Rays have been putting him at leadoff the last couple days, and uh, they've been known for doing some unique things, and G-Man Choi's always batted left-handed, but apparently today he turned around and flipped it to the right side because they were going up against the lefty and proceeded to hit a home run. I didn't think that was in his wheelhouse, but apparently G-Man Choi has become a switch hitter at the big league level. You rarely see that. It is a uh, reporters covering the team uh, saw that G-Man Choi was out there from the, the right side uh, and, and goofing or goofing around. This was just meant to be for fun. Then all of a sudden he starts hitting home runs and batting practice from the right side. And then first week of camp. Okay. You know, people are just relaxing, getting started. But then it stuck around. He kept hitting from the right-hand side, even up to the final few days of summer camp, enough that the reporters started asking, like, is this a thing? And they were still told then, uh, this is just uh, summer camp fun, uh, not expecting to do anything in the regular season. Then today comes, and uh, in, his, in his first at-bat, strikeout, second at-bat, a 110-mile-per-hour exit velocity, 411 feet to left-center field, just gone. Uh, home run, uh, and uh, what's interesting in that game on the versus the Blue Jays in the ninth when the Rays were rallying, bases are loaded, two outs in the ninth. Uh, he has a three-one count to Ken Giles. Ken Giles leaves with an arm, a, an apparent arm injury, and they bring in a lefty. So what does he do in a three-one count when you're already going one way? He flips there and goes uh, right-handed against the left-handed uh, pitcher. Uh, in one of those situations, you wouldn't necessarily think that you would when you're still trying to get your feet under you with it. But he hit a home run that day, so I guess your confidence would be pretty good, don't you think? That home run he hit, like you said, it was not a cheap home run. He destroyed no that pitch. Uh, the highest exit velocity they had for him last year as a lefty was just over 100 miles an hour, so he's already got 110 on as well to hit the other way. So I would expect to see him keep switch hitting, which is 
as usual, the Rays find these unique ways to take advantage of players, and I certainly never expected G-Man Choi to to be a switch hitter. I, I could see the Blake Snell opener. He he was kind of wild today, but he struck out a lot of guys. Wildly effective. That's yeah. pretty much summarizes most of the career of, of Blake Snell. Uh, but he's on, he's on. <laughs> any other hot takes left for you? Uh, let's move on. No, let's let's look at observations then just from the, the weekend of things that we've seen. We can look at some of the the impact of the new rules uh, and some other stuff that's there. Where would you like to kick us off? Oh, let's start with the extra inning rule. So we saw it the first night or the second night, technically Friday night. We saw it in the Angels A's game. Shohei Otani gets put on second base and we'll get to him later on again. But uh, he gets put on second base and the Angels do not score, but Eventually, the A's win that game with a grand slam. And then the most unique one ever is the Kansas City not getting an actual at-bat in extra innings and finding a way to win. That that one I had not seen coming. It was uh, sack bunt, sack fly, walk or something. And eventually, they win a game without officially getting an at-bat in the extra innings. Yeah, that was a, uh, a new one to put in the scorecard. Uh, and it's a... Uh, it, was, it was even referenced in the, the Tampa Bay Rays game today, just mm-hmm. the uh, uh, commentators uh, uh, talking about the uh, the uniqueness of the, the new extra inning rule. Uh, this game went into extra innings with Blue Jays and, and Rays here on Sunday. Uh, so we've had a couple of games that way, things that have taken place. But we were right. I want to point out, we were right. I said that, or at least I said that, we, that I thought there'd be some sack bunts, and we've already seen that a couple times. They're taking advantage of the fact that you all you need to do is bunt that guy to third and get a hard hit ball not right at someone in the infield and you should be able to score a run so you're seeing a push back to uh, old school baseball mm-hmm. uh, of doing the the little things uh, move the runner over sack fly get just the one run and see if you can I think that'll at least be the case for the 10th inning mm-hmm. uh, to see if you can keep it short that that strategy might change as the innings go on we'll, we'll have to wait and see how how different teams respond to that but uh, and we have seen uh uh, putting in more speedster guys right out of the gate. The one challenge we saw to that is you still have to replace the other person in the lineup with it, and that's not always the easiest thing to do. For example, the, the Blue Jays were able to do that and put on their uh, their speedy uh, shortstop in at second base for them today. Uh, Espino- Espinoza? Anderson Espinoza? Is he that's, still there? Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Rays, however, had their catcher uh, at second. He was their third catcher of the day. They didn't have anyone left after that, so they had, had to, to keep him, him in there. Uh, with it. So it's kind of interesting to see some of the strategy involved with it. Uh, but why don't we talk about uh, probably baseball's best feel-good story. Uh, I don't know if it'll be topped this year. It's just a really cool thing. Uh, Daniel Bard was a flame-throwing uh, pitching prospect for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, and some thought he would be the, uh, if I'm getting my era right, the heir apparent to Jonathan Papelbon uh, as closer in, in Boston. And it, it never quite materialized. And then he started having other issues. It was control, if I remember. He is kind of a, what was that guy that the Cardinals had that couldn't, Rick Ankeel, where he couldn't really get it over the plate for a strike. And he was, Daniel Bard, when he was young, was throwing like 102 miles an hour before that was cool. It was triple so, digits. So, yeah, he, he was considered like a top-end closer, but if you can't throw strikes, don't swing at it, right? Absolutely. And uh, the coolest stat you're going to hear uh, in baseball uh, is this. 2,646 days 
That's how long of a break it was from the last time Daniel Bard was on the mound to when he pitched yesterday uh, and got himself a win. And threw strikes, 20 of 25 of them over the plate for a strike. So he pounded the strike zone yesterday. And Colorado come out a little has come out much more effective than I thought they would with some very strange lineups, if you ask me. But they've, they're finding ways to win, and that's good because I had some concerns about Colorado, but hopefully they can keep it up. Yeah, they're starting out two and one to begin the uh, to begin the season here, and uh, and what's interesting is you have Daniel Bard getting a a start. Uh, so we're not talking about a relief pitcher anymore. Now we're talking about a starter. He's uh, thirty five now. Whew, time flies. So very very cool. Uh, uh, got all the feels going for that one this weekend. What's an observation that you got here? I suppose we should look at injuries and and COVID. That's been the uh, already a hard-hitting thing uh, to uh, – let's start with injuries first. Okay. Let's start with Clayton Kershaw. So the I told texted you that night. The three words that every Dodgers fan both loves to hear and hates to hear is Clayton Kershaw's back because it's either his back is bothering him or he's back from his back injury. And in this case, it was, I mean, hours before opening night. We all thought Clayton Kershaw was going opening night, and then suddenly it was Dustin May because Clayton Kershaw needs some time because his back is flared up again. And Clayton Kershaw is another one. Simultaneously recognized as probably the best pitcher of the last decade, but another one. You wonder what could have been because Clayton Kershaw has missed a lot of starts with back pain and having to deal with that. I hope this is a short break. Now, in the shortened season, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see if Clayton Kershaw's back bothers him. I wouldn't be surprised if he never pitches more than four or five innings at a time. They could easily keep him guarded till the playoffs uh, be, since it doesn't matter if you win the division or not. Uh, you can see, and with the expanded playoff options, you can see some teams uh, taking the pedal, uh, taking the foot off the gas pedal, uh, and just being monitoring this and trying to ratchet up as we get closer to playoff time. Uh, there is a lot of uh, high-profile pitchers that have been scratched from early starts. Uh, Marcus Stroman, uh, you have Steven Strasburg, Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels is on the 45. Uh, IL, uh, which means he's probably not being seen at all this year. Uh, it depends how that how the the year is shaping out, whether he returns at all. Eduardo Eduardo Rodriguez and Jake Odorizzi. Uh, that's a lot of pitchers. Before we get to the one today that sent Twitter all uh, in a flurry of uh, Justin Verlander with a forearm strain. It was first being reported that he was not going to pitch at all the rest of the year, and then he went on Twitter and said, "Guys, calm down. It's two weeks." Uh, I'm out for two weeks and then coming back. Uh, but forearm strains can be tricky. Forearm strains are never good. And Dusty Baker, if, if it says that he's ready to go, Dusty Baker will not be afraid to say, Justin, get out there and give me six. Cause that is just, he is old school. And we hope, you know, I hope Dust, Justin Verlander's fine. I want to see Justin Verlander pitch. He's already got one start in. You hope that it's not going to be something that lingers on him. And eventually, you know, forearm strains are what lead to Tommy John surgery. And yes. Justin Verlander at this point, if he needs Tommy John surgery, he's going to retire. And that's just going to be the way it is. So I hope Justin Verlander is okay. I really hope it's just a strain. But anytime you have to deal with a soft tissue injury in your arm as a pitcher, it's a worry. And it's one that's going to stay there until you completely feel healthy, and you may not feel fully healthy until the end of the year. Uh, so it is going to be a lingering issue uh, to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, and that wraps up the the pitchers initially with this. There's two high-profile uh, batters uh, that have been impacted early on. The uh, 
the big uh, contract to Anthony Rendon. Uh, an oblique issue is going on. This kept He's not on the IL, but he hasn't played yet. And obliques for a hitter can also be a very lingering injury. So this is my pick for the for the American League MVP. This is the guy I said last week, I think he's going to win MVP. And within days, it was, oh, he's got an oblique injury. We don't want to put him on the IL, but we're not sure if he can play. And he hasn't played yet. And like you said, another muscle injury and the core for a batter is not good news. It means that it's going to sap some of his power. It's going to stay there. You try to rush it back and it pulls a little more and you miss a lot of time. So it's definitely not good. If I could redo it, I would already not pick him again. But yeah, stick to it. Hopefully he comes back soon. Uh days or the angels need him, but it's it's not definitely not something you like to hear. For me and and our last podcast, uh, I pretty much had the uh, Joe uh, John Madden cover kiss of death for whoever I picked. Anyone that I was picking for something, it was Your not Luis a good Castillo weekend. pick was awesome. At least I got one. We'll Your talk Luis about Castillo him in, in just awesome. a bit, but uh, that one uh, I, I might be uh, spot on for. Uh, the other hitter was Eloy Jimenez. Uh, that one just happened a few hours ago. So yep. he crashed into the wall trying to make a catch and. I believe he stuck in there for an inning or half an inning. It wasn't long. And then they took him out and he, they just said he left with lightheadedness and I'm sure he'll be checked for a concussion. We, I hope he's fine. I, they have literally said nothing other than he left with lightheadedness and Eloy Jimenez, we talked about him too. He's, he had a 30, one of the quietest rookie 30 home run seasons you're ever likely to see last year because it was considered a disappointment for what, and this is a guy that was traded straight up at one point for Jose Quintana to help get the Cubs a world series. So Eloy Jimenez, the White Sox expect a lot and you hope he's doing fine. The, just a brief, uh, uh, heading back to a previous guy I mentioned, just a, a few more uh, stats on, on Daniel Bard that I thought you'd find interesting. Uh, number one, in 2011, Bard set a Red Sox team record with 25 consecutive scoreless appearances. His highest velocity uh, pitch was 102 miles an hour. Yeah. But then in, in 2012, ERA of over six. In 2013, he only plays for t- in two games with the Red Sox, and then he's done. Uh, so it just say... A very good career to begin with, and then seven years out, and then at 35, back in, in the starting rotation for the Colorado Rockies. Very cool. Uh, We have a new segment as we transition. We're no longer in the uh, spring training edition of the Heater Podcast. Uh, Regular season is upon us, uh, and so we'll have a few uh, new uh, segments as we look at uh, uh, coverage of uh, games and and players and and everything in between. And uh, The first one we're going to take a look at is, is called The Heat Is On. Uh, that's for guys that are, if you want to go to a different sport, NBA Jam, heating up. Uh, we have uh, that type of a concept here for guys that are starting out uh, on fire, that are doing well. And so let's cover uh, some of those uh, observations from the first weekend. Before we get going, can I mention, do we do coronavirus injuries? I totally skipped it. Yeah. Uh, I want to skip it. I, I do too, uh, but, but I want to uh, mention you. a couple of these guys. Uh, because we had, by the MLB operations manual... Uh, a textbook outbreak uh, take place with the Miami Marlins today. Yeah, so that's I'd, I'd love to skip it too. I don't want to talk coronavirus, but uh, Jorge Alfaro is the catcher for the Marlins, and we know he had it. And then before long, I, there's three, four guys apparently that have been diagnosed with it. Now they don't release – you don't have to release names. We talk about, HIPAA says you do not need to release names. 
We know that Miami's been hit very hard with COVID-19. There's a rumor that the Reds are dealing with the effects of COVID-19 with some of their big superstars, Mike Moustakis and Nick Senzel, both. Moustakis went on the DL, I see, and with illness. So uh, that's not something you usually you're used to seeing, so I can make a guess there. And uh, Nick Senzel did not play today with uh, under-the-weather type of, of issues. And it's one thing, if one person gets it, that makes you nervous. When you see two with similar symptoms, you start to go down that road. So that's going to be an, uh, something we'll monitor in the next uh, few days. And by the end of this upcoming week, we'll know uh, if any of these, if either of these players are uh, playing at all. Mustakas on the DL right now. Uh, or IL, I got still yeah, got to get used to saying to it. That, yeah. uh, and then Nick Senzel, if he ends up on the IL as well, and there is a separate IL for COVID, uh, so we'll see if that gets used uh, uh, at all here too. But yeah, four players with the Marlins, uh, so a full-on organizational outbreak. Uh, and we had the question uh, in our last podcast on uh, over unders, right? And I was still very low on my numbers there, and. This first weekend alone says uh, we're in for some interesting uh, times. You can try to keep it in a bubble. You can try so hard to avoid it, but it's just a droplet or two. Unless you're Lou Williams and not to switch sports, they're on it, but that's a whole different I story. Heard, I, I tried to ignore <laughs> Lou Williams. When I saw new, Lou Williams come up on my newsfeed, I tried to ignore that. But let's get oh, back to the man. hot players here. Yeah, so, so why don't you start us off here on... Uh, uh, I'm going to take the player that I was extraordinarily close to picking for my Cy Young award in the American league before I switched to his teammate and Mike Clevenger and that's Shane Bieber. So Shane Bieber is exceptionally good. He came out the other night and struck out 14. Now it's the Royals. It's the Royals, but six innings, 14 strikeouts and Cleveland is off to a hot start. Another team that I've predicted to make the wild card. And I feel pretty good about it after a few days. That rotation uh, is as dominant as it's ever been. And you think that they already traded Corey Kluber. They traded Trevor uh, Bauer. And what they have left is still amazing. You have Shane Bieber's uh, performance. You have Carlos Carrasco, uh, who we talked about. that we, If we would have made a bet on one player we thought for sure wasn't playing in the uh, as due to at-risk category or anything within it, coming back from cancer... Uh, he was full go uh, and looked really dominant. good. He looked really good. Bieber set a record for 14 strikeouts as a club record for opening day and the most in the major since Randy Johnson did it in 96 without allowing a single run. Now, that's that's a hot start, and you'd like to keep see him keep it up because the Indians are, like you said, those top three guys with Bieber, Clevenger, and Carrasco, you keep those guys going and they can carry you there, actually. And that doesn't even count your uh, Cy Young pick of Mike Clevenger uh, within this. So, uh, and and that leads me to uh, my question as part of uh, this segment, and that's we've seen three rotations jump out to a, a big start. Indians, Rangers, even though they don't have the, the W's to go with it, but their starting pitching has been good, has been really good. And then you have the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and that's the other, if I got the Mookie contract right, uh, so far, I have to feel pretty confident about Luis Castillo. And uh, of those three, uh, who was the most impressive in this opening weekend, rotation-wise? 
it's one of those Ohio teams, whether it's Cincinnati or Cleveland. They're on a different level so far from what we've seen in Texas. Uh, Cincinnati got an excellent opening day start from Sonny Gray. Then Luis Castillo went out and had just some absurd stats. Uh, I believe he struck out 11 and only 91 pitches with 21 swinging strikes, which is just ridiculous the in that number of pitches. change up in baseball. Oh. No question. Everybody wants. You think it's coming and it just drops off the table. And then Trevor Bauer went out today and struck out 13. So... I would say it's probably been Cincinnati. I would take Cleveland second because, like you said, I didn't expect – I was sure that Carlos Carrasco was going to opt out. He came back, struck out a 10 himself today. Once again, Royals, I, I don't think the Royals are very good. But you can't knock him too much for it. They're still a major league team. And Cleveland is – those all three of the Cleveland pitchers has come out and I believe the most earned runs they've allowed is two and in seven innings. So early on in the year, both those teams have looked – we, we, we both saw that those teams had good rotations and they've matched up. Now, Texas, like you said, has pitched really well. That, that new hitter's park that it seems to be there, they are, they're taking advantage of it. And I think Corey Kluber only won an inning, though, I saw. Didn't he get hurt? Yeah, I didn't see whether it was hurt or not, but he did not uh, uh, last long uh, in that game. Uh, so we'll have to see what's going on there with, uh, with him. Shoulder tightness is what it says. Through 18 pitches with shoulder tightness. So he was examined by the team doctor and ex- evaluated more on Monday. So you hope that's okay because that's that's a big – they he's, paid a lot to get him. He's had a lot of surgeries on shoulder, arm, dealing with those types of issues, and uh, you hope this isn't a sign of more things to come, but you can add another big uh, player to that uh, injury list that is mounting. Almost forgot, almost forgot him. So I'm going to stick – Actually, on the Indians, I mean, I feel like I'm sticking to a, a theme here, but they're, they've been really good so far. And Jose Ramirez, we talk about Jose Ramirez started last year with a frigid first half. Horrendous. I believe he was under the Mendoza line at the All-Star game last year, which is hard to believe for a man of that caliber of what we saw the year before. And he started off really, really good so far these first few games. Today, he had a home run. Actually, he had a couple of them. Um, added a single. Scored four runs. Jose Ramirez. Francisco Lindor, they have some of the top young infield talent in the game in Cincinnati, and they're playing like it. Diehard baseball fans know who Jose Ramirez is, but he's probably the most underrated superstar uh, in in baseball. Uh, you take a look at his numbers in the past like three seasons, uh, and you can put him up there with any other player uh, for being in that handful of, I'd say easily, a top 10 position player in baseball. He's been that good. They have two of them. As I was going to say, and you could almost argue more than Lindor. Lindor plays a little bit more of a the demanding position at shortstop, but it's hard to find good offensive third baseman or good all-around third baseman, and he's done that very well up until his fluke first half last year uh, that after the, when the second half got started, then he looked like the guy that they were used to seeing. So it's nice to have him coming out of the gate uh, uh, on fire uh, and uh, a big part of the potential success of the uh, Cleveland Indians uh, a home run here. from both sides today. He switched hitter, hit him from both sides. That's awesome. Well, you know, uh, he's giving his best G-Man Choi impression, so that's good to see. <laughs> uh, but uh, the other guy uh, who has been on fire to uh, offensively to start the year, Nelson Cruz at age 40. I don't even know what adjectives you can put here for him anymore. Uh, he went off today. Uh, two home runs, two doubles, seven RBI. Uh, he now leads the uh, league in RBI with 10, uh, so he's already in double digits to begin That's the year. Maybe he can still get to 100 RBI at, at his pace. So, 
but yeah, the we knew how good the Minnesota Twins offense would be. Uh, he was a big part of it last year. He's still going to be a big part of it this year. Uh, and when he cools off, someone like Josh Donaldson or Miguel Sano, there's always someone else who can step up there. Uh, but, man, is he red hot to start the year. We're three games in. How many runs have the Twins scored? Oh, they're over 20 now, aren't they? 27 runs. Wow. A 10, a 3, and a 14. That is that is how deep that offense is. It is, And Josh Donaldson's not even hot yet. Like I believe he's only had one hit. And if I could add one more to my my hot takes, then the Cleveland or the excuse me the Chicago White Sox uh, playoff hopes might be a bit premature. Uh, this was their early season litmus test against the the division champs, and, and uh, they're not on the same level yet. The the if I'm a White Sox fan, the thing that worries me is I watched part of that opening day, and Lucas Giolito looked like the bad Lucas Giolito again, and he looked really good last year, but. That opening night, he couldn't throw the strikes. And if you're getting down on a team like the Minnesota Twins, they are going to pound you into submission. And that's that's what they did that night. The White Sox are going to experience what a lot of teams with young pitching do. They're going to have some nights where their light's out. The problem that comes with young pitching is consistency. Uh, from pitch to pitch, let alone outing to outing. Uh, to, to be able to execute each pitch... Because when you go against teams like the Minnesota Twins, when you make a mistake pitch, they're not going to miss. That's what the good offensive teams do. When you make a mistake, they make you pay for it. Uh, Other teams you can get by with, uh, they foul it off or they miss it just a bit. Teams like the the Twins with that offense, they're going to capitalize. And when they have such a good offense, you have to be so on. It's hard for young pitchers to master that consistency early on. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for the White Sox in trying to contend against the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, they're, they, you hope that Giolito figures it out because seven earned in that first start, that's, it ain't going to work for them. But uh, Nelson Cruz has been incredibly good for them. Like you said, he's already seven for 13 with seven runs, two doubles. His slugging right now is almost 1,400. That's, that's awesome. For a guy who's 40 years old, another guy we talk about, no drop-off. Nelson Cruz didn't get started till he was older, but no drop-off in sight here. And uh, you just wait for it, but as long as he keeps pounding it out, you want to you want to keep seeing what he can do. I'm going to go to a little bit lesser-known player, I think. Probably the least known player that we've mentioned, and that's – we didn't talk about Seattle. Seattle, if you look at a team, it's they're kind of rebuilding. I think the most I talked about Seattle was my – Expoused love for Jared Kalanick, who's not even on the team yet, but Kyle Lewis is going to keep him down there for a while. The way Kyle Lewis is hitting, they've come out red hot, won a couple of games, and he's had a couple of game-winning hits, uh, including to beat the Astros today, snapping a 15-game losing streak in that series. So Kyle Lewis uh, had a home, actually two home runs, um, in the first couple of games, had a big hit today to help them win, and Seattle got a win over the mass over the Astros. That's what you like to see. Yeah, Kyle Lewis is. Uh, uh they need something positive over in Seattle right now and until they can uh, get to their, their next wave as they try to uh, uh, rebuild and uh, bring up young talent until someone like Kellenek and, and a few of the others come up. Uh, but Kyle Lewis has been a, a bright spot to begin the season, to say the least. Uh, looking over at the National League, still staying in the West, uh, we've been talking about the San Diego Padres. Uh, a potential difference maker for them 
for all sorts of different reasons. He's not going to uh, lead the league in home runs. He's not going to have the uh, a batting title. Uh, he's not going to have uh, a gold glove to his name. But across the board, uh, Tommy Pham uh, made a huge difference on the Tampa Bay Rays last year. Uh, his veteran presence, in addition to an overall above-average bat, uh, was a, a difference maker for a young team. And being able to stay on players, willing to call them out if they were not uh, putting in the effort level that is needed to contend. He's a perfect fit for the young San Diego Padres team. He already has four stolen bases. Uh, he has a couple of hits, but he's uh, got a bunch of walks already, so he's been on base a lot. He does all of those little things. Uh, that is often the difference between winning and losing. And so I think the impact that he is going to have on San Diego could very well be the reason why they contend even a year earlier than maybe fully expected. The speed is what I, I just didn't expect the four steals. He's 32 years old now. So to be, you know, developing extra speed, he's stole 20 bases in multiple years, but four steals in three games. And now you don't know if it's going to continue, but maybe it's just getting to that. We didn't know what Jace Tingler is going to do, right? New manager. Maybe he's just going to let these guys run. They've got some speed players. Fernando Tatis is one of the fastest players in the game, so you can let these guys steal bases all over the park, and that makes them even more fun to watch. Absolutely. I think they are going to be the most uh, uh, most exciting team in the National League to watch just from it, watching young talent uh, emerge into uh, real MLB They have uh, a players. deal and a half on Tommy Pham. You see Tommy Pham's contract? Mm-hmm. What a deal. $510,000. That's a full season, so I don't know he's getting prorated, but Wow. What a deal, because you think about some of those huge contracts that are being signed, and that's a that's a steal and a half there for them. No wonder they're able to send, sign a guy like Manny Machado. Absolutely. Uh, at his uh, price point, you are uh, able to squeeze that into any budget. Uh, any other players on your list here? That's I only had three. Then let's take a look at the our last segment for the podcast, and that's uh, looking at it from the opposite angle. We're going to talk about what's the heat level. Uh, you think of mild, medium, hot, five alarm. For levels of concern, okay. what's the heat level? Uh, there are some players that uh, I think I have at least one or two for five alarm. There's others that you can debate where where are we at. So why don't I kick us off with the guy that I was picking to be the National League Comeback Player of the Year, uh, and that is Edwin Diaz. Uh, Edwin Diaz uh, got a save uh, early on, and then uh, the following night blew a save. Uh, and uh, uh, with the home run, I, if I'm remembering that correctly, and I think the reason why I'm remembering that correctly is because the numbers from last year came back up. He gave up 15 home runs in the ninth inning last year, which set an MLB record. Uh, where do you put Edwin Diaz on the heat level? Marcelo Zuna took him deep in that game to give the Braves the win against the Mets. It was a pre- I watched. It was a pretty good pitch. It was down and away. Marcelo Zuna's a good hitter. Uh, the the concern comes with Edwin Diaz in the fact that this is a team that said we want to improve our bullpen. They signed Dylan Batances. Seth Lugo is there, and you don't have a whole lot of time in sixty games to work it out in the bullpen. This is not a thing where if you if he comes out and he blows two or three in a row, they're going to say you're not going to keep getting these opportunities because the Mets want to win this year. They want to compete, and you know Marcus. You mentioned Marcus Stroman's hurt, but they have a deep enough rotation that they should be able to compete in that division. Now, if I'm giving it a number, 
I'm saying it's about a three right now. If he goes out and he gets a couple of saves in a row, it's probably all is forgiven. But if he blows one in this next week, it's going to go up in a hurry. I'm at full five alarm already, despite uh, having the confidence in him going into the season. And the reason why is this. Confidence with relief pitchers is, is shaky once things start happening. He had a very bad last year. And not only do you not have the time to try to get things started, you can already have the, the thought process of here we go again. Uh, so you, confidence being hit that way. Uh, you already know your team doesn't have that as much confidence in you as they did last year. They went out and signed some other relievers with closing experience. Uh that leash you know is short, so that's going to put more pressure on you uh, in these situations. Ultimately, I think if Edwin Diaz is going to get back to being uh, the player that he was in Seattle, I don't see that happening without a change of scenery now. I don't think New York is going to be a fit for him at all. Uh, I think it needs to happen somewhere else, and it's just a matter of how stubborn their, uh, 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 their GM wants to be uh, because he was a big part of that centerpiece deal that's turning into a bigger blunder, and, and no one wants to admit that they made that big of a mistake. Uh, Jared Kellenick hasn't blown. Is help him. Jared Kellenick hasn't blown any wins yet for my uh, Mariners, so that's uh, that's not looking good. I think I can bring up a player here that 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 we can debate about the what's going on with him so far. How how much heat is on here? It's Shohei Otani. You mentioned that he was close to being your MVP pick last week. You did not go with him, but. Uh, I have not kept up on how he's hit so far, but I did catch his start today. Uh, it was something else. Let's put it this way. His ERA is listed as INF. It stands for infinity because he gave up five earned runs without giving up or getting out a single baseball player. That's correct. Five earned runs without recording an out. Uh, and we'd heard that he was struggling mightily with the location in sports in summer camp, uh, 40 Nine walks and, uh, like what, like two innings. Yeah, it was, it's not, it's not been good. And so he was coming off Tommy John. Uh, we obviously want to hope that he's got the, the pitching back because he's shown that he can be a above average major league pitcher. But if you can't throw strikes, you're going to not last in that rotation very long. And he can, I don't know how he's hitting. Have you seen, has he hit anything yet? I was trying to pull that up here. So I don't know how he's hit so far, but if he is hitting, they can leave him at DH, put him in the outfield. We've seen him play the outfield out there, but the advantage that he gives you is when he's on, he's two players for the price of one. But if he can't pitch, then he's just a young, good hitter. And so I'm not sure if he's going to get this figured out. If I'm giving it a number, as far as a pitcher is concerned, he's a, he's a five for me because if you can't throw strikes, Joe Mann's not going to pitch you anymore. He's uh, only got one hit so far, but only five plate appearances. So it's still he's probably very... only played one game then. And uh, uh, the hard part is you need to give him time to get past Tommy John and trying to get going here. And it just seems as if the control isn't there yet. Uh, but you also don't have a lot of time. So it becomes a conundrum that uh, Joe Madden is going to have to try to navigate. Uh, they'll, they'll try to give him another start or two uh, easily to, to begin with here. Uh, but if it if it goes like this, you just don't have enough time, and you don't have a minor league thing to send him back to. Uh, so my guess is they take him out of the rotation, uh, and they let him hit, and then he pitches on the side until they feel comfortable with bringing him back in. But it's a hard thing to do 
in this current season circumstance? Where would you place him on a mild, medium, hot five alarm? Oh, that's a five. His pitching right now is a five alarm. If you can't throw strikes, and it's and it was summer camp, and it's been this first game, you can't throw strikes. You're you're a five alarm for me because I don't. They're not going to let him pitch for a lot longer if he can't do it. I'll put it at hot. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I for him, we know the talent level is there. The concern is. He had one of these alarming starts in summer camp that everyone wrote about. And then right away here, uh, that's a definite challenge. But I I just got to believe that he's going to figure this out. I have more confidence in him than I do Edwin Diaz right now. Good. Uh, one more pitcher to, uh, to highlight for me is James Paxton from the Yankees. Uh, he's a guy who has always been a frustrating conundrum uh, wrapped, in an, wrapped in an enigma. Uh, he is a hard-throwing left-handed pitcher. He gets the strikeouts. Uh, durability has always been a concern. Uh, 150 innings pitched is about what you'd expect from him uh, overall. He had a good debut season with the Yankees last year. It wasn't great, especially if you look at the the XFIP. Uh, he won 15 games last year, but the XFIP was just over four, uh, and that doesn't scream dominance. That screams middle of rotation. Uh, which with their offense is all that they need, but the the durability and some of the other issues. I, let's put it this way before I kick it over to you. I see a lot of Sonny Gray 2.0 here. That was what went through my mind when I watched his first start. Uh, I'm worried about a guy that may not fit in New York for long. So I watched that start also. Uh, there's some interesting things going on with James Paxton. James Paxton relies on insane velocity. I think he, okay, I can pull it up. He averaged 95.7 miles an hour last year. The other night is fastest pitch topped out at 92. So that's not the average. That was his fastest pitch with many of them being around 89. That's scary. If you're a James Paxton fan, that's scary. If you're a Yankees fan, if he can't throw hard, then he is not the same pitcher. He's essentially been a two-pitch pitcher his whole career which with a really good slider and a really strong fastball. But once again, if it's not coming that hard, you can cheat the slider and not swing at it. He also got, had some – it was a weird second inning. He got through the first inning clean, and he gave up a lot of singles and some unlucky kind of just bloop hits. And, he got babbipped. Yeah, for he sure. got babbipped, exactly. And so it was not as bad as it seemed. I don't think it was horrendous, but I want to see – I, I saw an overlay thing too on Twitter where it showed his release point. It was clearly different than last year. That's not good. You don't want pitchers messing up their release points and having to deal with that and when there's no time to really get a practice session in. So I'm going to watch the next session. Right now I'm pretty low. I'll say a two out of what What are my options? Mild? What's about mild, mild, medium, hot. I'll take medium. I'll take medium on my on this list. That's, that's where I stand, I'll too. take medium. I'm not super worried yet, but I, I want to see that fastball getting 94, 95 before. If it if he comes out again and it's not 90, it's throwing 92 or less, it's gonna keep it's gonna start climbing quickly because he can't live at that velocity. He yeah, he definitely relies on pure stuff. Uh, and if that stuff isn't there, he can get hit around. Now, even still in this start, it was it wasn't hard contact. It was it was little things, uh, but it with him it always seems to be something. Uh, the guy that you always wait to put everything together, but you can never quite figure out what that one thing is, or that gets fixed. But then there's something else. It always seems like he's one step away, and and, and I just don't know if he's ever going to get to that step. And the Yankees need him to get to that step. The Yankees. Garrett Cole came out and he had that 
he was the one who pitched that night when the rain came out, but he looked really good. We talked about with Garrett Cole fit into New York, uh, one start in looks looks doing just fine there. So they need James Paxton, they need Masahiro Tanaka. They've invested a lot of money in those guys, and so far I would say that they are probably not overly thrilled with the return on investment, even though you just said he won 15 wins last year. It, it wasn't what they expected out of James Paxton. For If you'd ask any Yankee fan, they would definitely say under uh, underwhelmed yep. uh, to this point. Let's talk a hitter. Can I talk a hitter? Absolutely. We're in the state of Wisconsin here. Let's talk Christian Yelich because it's been pretty rough, and it was rough going back to summer camp. He is 1 for 13 at this point. The one hit was a, was a home run, and even more de- – worrisome in my opinion is this is a guy who's always been able to get on base and he's at five strikeouts to no walk so far out of those 13 at bats what do you think well the concern is and you referenced before the summer camp numbers were not good wasn't he like one for 31 i thought i heard some like some bad number it was like two i think he ended up like two or three for 35 or something like that it was it was rough summer camp didn't look good it wasn't great, even in spring training before it got shut down, and it hasn't started off well this year. He, he made the joke that he was playing like Bob Euchre, and hitting like Bob Euchre is never a good thing to say. So this is a guy who was coming off of a – he won an MVP. He was tracking for easy for the second, but then he fouled the ball off his knee and broke it. And it seems to be at least bothering him early here still. Yeah, I would put – I'm going to put it at, at uh, medium. I wanted to go hot, but it's still just too early. Uh, but when when the timing was off in summer camp, the timing is off to begin the year. Again, as we've been mentioning all along with this, you don't have a lot of time to course correct. Uh, and, and that's going to be part of the challenge because ultimately for the Brewers to have any shot uh, at playoffs, they live and die by Christian Yelich. Uh, and if he, they cannot afford for him to pull a Jose Ramirez first half of 2019, uh, that means you you can end the playoff uh, picture right there. Uh, so this slump needs to be short-lived. Whatever the timing issue is, whatever it is that he needs to get comfortable at the plate, they need that to be fixed sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm going to put Yelich at hot. I'm going to put him at a three here. I, I, I'm a little worried that the knee, even if it's not physically bothering him, it's, it's in his head or something like that. And baseball is... A mental game at its own in its own way. It's a mental game. Yes, physical at bats to put the bat to the ball. But if he's worried about following a ball off his knee, it's it's clearly affecting him somewhat. Because this is a guy who struck out three times today. He struck out twice the other day, and he hasn't. Like I said he hasn't drawn a walk yet, which is really surprising for a guy that even in his Marlins days before he showed the big power, always showed this really really strong bat to ball skills. So I'm a little more worried than you, I think. And he was never a big strikeout guy. Nope. Uh, he was uh, always had a good batting eye. And, and again, when we put this in context, even those that are at their best, uh, if you are getting uh, a hit three out of ten times, uh, you're getting a nice contract. I mean, that's how this works. It's hard to hit, uh, but you put a mental thing on top of it, uh, you only have split seconds to see a ball and then hit the ball. Uh, if there's anything else that is getting in the way, any additional hurdles, uh, it does not bode well for success. So it's definitely something that needs to be monitored uh, in the coming uh, days and early weeks here to see if he can shake himself out of it. We have Let's, a pirate series coming up, so that should help. 
nothing helps confidence more than a series with the Pirates. Uh, it's it's hard. You try not to pick on them, but I, I, I blame their GM. It's their own fault. That's right. Uh, let's talk about another team that definitely has playoff aspirations. Uh, we've had some questions here on the podcast, uh, and when you count the Justin Verlander injury after already losing Garrett Cole, uh, knowing now fully what we know about the Verlander injury, uh, from not being an entire season yet, uh, or just saying right now, two weeks. Uh, we talked about two weeks already is 20% of the season. Uh, but uh, forearm strain uh, is always one that, that makes you hold your breath. Uh, Astros playoff hopes after this opening weekend and, and what we know now. They play in such a good division. At AL West, and we talked about Otani struggling, but... The A's, the Rangers, the Astros, and the Mariners, I said, they've, they're only one and two, but they've placed the Astros, who are a really good team. And, and they've come out and they've looked better than I expected them to do. So I was already down on the Astros' playoff hopes. I thought that, I said, everyone in the world is pulling against the Astros right now. Every single person that is not a diehard Astros fan wants the Astros to, to fail this year. And it's just going to keep mounting if they do. Now, they've come out and they've put up some nice offensive numbers, 8, 7, and 6. If they're going to score 7 runs a game on average, they're going to do just fine. They're going to win. This team can still hit with the best of them. El Tuve has come out really hot, and that's that's great for them because he was one that I think people were worried was going to feel the effects of the booze as much as anyone. And, you know, there's no booze because there's nobody there. So the Astros' playoff hopes, they're still the most challenging team to talk about because there is so many weird storylines with the Astros. If they went out and they won 35 games, it wouldn't shock me at all. If they went out and they won 27 games, it wouldn't shock me at all. Just because they play in the, that division with that many good teams. After the Astros get done playing the Mariners, they have two games with the Dodgers. I'm interested to watch that series. That's the one I want to see Tuesday and Wednesday. The Mariners are good. The Dodgers are exceptional. If the Astros want to continue to be one of the favorites in the AL, I want to see them go out and keep putting up those seven-run games against the likes of Walker Bueller. Yeah, they were a team that was uh, uh, up until the eighth inning uh, today uh, looking for a 3-0 and start, uh, and then the Mariners tripped them up in, in the f- closing. Uh, uh, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis. Uh, Kyle Lewis happened. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so... But again, Seattle still two and one is good. You, every win matters at this point, so you bank them where you can. But yeah, let's now see them. Uh, the Yankees got a good uh, matchup with Washington. That was a fun one to see. Everything was pretty close there. You see, being playoff tested right out of the gate. I want to see that out of Houston uh, before I can fully uh, rate them. I'm going to put them at. I'm going to put him at hot because I don't like the Verlander injury, and I don't think it's just two weeks. That's my gut. A forearm strain always uh, always is one that uh, it usually is longer than what you think. It may not be a full season, but I doubt it's two weeks either, and they don't have the depth, uh, top-end depth, to handle uh, that type of loss. Mm-hmm. Someone I forget which reporter it was, if it was Buster Olney or someone else, but they, they were talking about uh, uh, a team that was – uh, that could be most impacted by an injury was Houston. When you think of Granke or Verlander, two guys that they could not afford to lose, and that's happening right out right out of the gate. I would hot's hot's about where I would have put it too. I would have said hot. Um, it's it's going to be hard, like you said. 
two weeks, Justin Verlander said that we know that athletes like to, they're, they're in much better shape than most of us, but they like to over-exaggerate how quickly they can recover. I'm sure Justin Verlander wants to pitch in two weeks. The team doctor, they have a lot riding on Justin Verlander's arm. They're not going to, if he, if that arm doesn't look great to the point where they think he's going to pitch, they're not going to let him go out there and pitch in two weeks. I would be much more looking at three to plus four weeks more likely than that. Uh, let it heal all the way and then go out there. Yeah, uh, the the Astros are they're they're up against it already, and they lost Garrett Cole, and now you're lost Justin Verlander. There's no team in the world that can replace those guys. So you hope so, but I was trying to get a, a quick peek as we uh, get ready to wrap up uh, our podcast here for uh, uh, what to watch for or an uh, exciting series coming up uh, this week to uh, uh, check uh, on on TV or on MLB TV. Uh, and I think that's the one to go with, Dodgers versus Astros. It's only a two-game uh, series, though, I think. It's only two it, games. Just two. So it'll be on, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday. Yep. And so I think uh, as well as come this weekend, we're looking at, at Cleveland versus Minnesota. Uh, oh. There's a chance oh, to yeah. see the uh, Cleveland pitching and Minnesota hitting strength to strength. Uh, those are the two that I'd be looking at this next week for fun series to to, uh, uh, to enjoy uh, some baseball now that uh, we're live. Who does your uh, team play this week? Uh, we're looking uh, uh let's see. Uh, Rays are are playing. Uh, man, I can't even find them right they now. The Something. Braves, don't they? Braves and Baltimore uh, Baltimore. is where they're at. Uh, so Braves first, nice. uh, and then uh, off to Baltimore. So the Brewers get the Pirates, and I should know this. Uh, I'm not ready to schedule check yet. I got to get get ready for this. Brewers now. I got oh the Cardinals. Oh boy. Oh Wisconsin versus Division. the Cardinals. Never go. never a great thing. Brewers start off with like twelve division games to start. I think that's they, they just bounce around, so it, it'll be interesting. Get them out of the way, I guess. See if you can win some of them. They, they haven't started off great. But. Try to get some early season momentum for sure. Well, those are some uh, exciting matchups that are coming up this week. Uh, there's very few off days. I think, uh, for example, the Rays only have two in the in the first forty one days of the season. Uh, so that means I can always be confident on turning on the TV and watching a game. So uh, you can, too. Enjoy this uh, season of baseball as we get underway. Our opening weekend is uh, coming to a close, and uh, we'll see of teams trying to get into a, uh, a rhythm coming into uh, uh, the season starting. You're going to notice only one podcast this week, no right fielders. We're going to keep you in suspense yep. for one more week. It'll, it'll be there, we promise. We, we, we're working on it. So until then, uh, that's Corey Peeper. I'm Dan Lewig. Thanks for tuning into the Heater Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll keep you tuned to all sorts of baseball knowledge throughout the year. Thank you.